Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. I don't always get to speak or connect with the authors of the stories I read on the podcast, but I always love it when I do. And for today's story, I knew I had to speak to its author, Barbara Jenkins. Now, Barbara Jenkins was born in Trinidad. She studied and lived in Wales and returned to Trinidad in the early 70s. She has had the kind of life that, quite frankly, I want. She's had multiple careers. And after spending many years as a geography teacher, she got into writing in 2008 at the age of 66. And writing was clearly one of the things she was meant to do. She's since won multiple awards for her fiction, including the Commonwealth Short Story Prize. This particular story was shortlisted for that prize in 2013. It's called A Good Friday, and it's set in her home country of Trinidad. Now, when I called up Barbara, I wanted to know a couple of things. Number one, could she guide me in doing a convincing or at least honorable Trinidadian accent? And number two, I was very curious about some of the references in the story, which were lost on me as an American, and I wanted some guidance. We open this story on your boy Carl Lee kind of a playboy character who was reflecting on an encounter or a relationship that he had years ago. He's thinking about a particular Good Friday, the Friday before Easter. And for those of you not as familiar with some of the traditions of the West Indies, I'll explain one of those first references in this story as Barbara explained it to me. On Good Friday... As the tradition goes, you put a raw egg white in a glass of water and you put that out in the sun. And at noon, you check on the glass and the egg white has now transformed into a shape that will divine what this next year will look like for you in terms of fortune. 
And in this case, Carl Lee has not performed this ritual and he doesn't know what hits him. I am enormously grateful for Barbara's guidance with the accent in this story, and I hope you end up loving this story as much as I do. So, if you are ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. A Good Friday by Barbara Jenkins In later years, when he lying in bed all by himself, your boy Carly lose plenty sleep wondering whether he should have put a raw egg white in a glass out in the sun that midday. Then he does catch himself and think, well, maybe knowing beforehand wouldn't have been much help to him that Friday when he first set eyes on Sonity. When Sonity walked in the bar that first time, the whole room stopped just so. People didn't turn their head, they didn't stare at she. They simply freeze what they was doing and saying and slope a low-down eye over, tracking she where she passing. Your boy Carl Lee thinking that if she did think she could slide in here and blend in, easy, easy, without anybody paying her any mind, well, it only go to show she either too green for words or not quite right in the head. But look she there, right in the middle of the bar room, causing this sudden hush, everybody antenna up. And she? She cool, cool, too far inside to turn away and walk back out, even if she did notice the effect she having. And if she wondering if she make a mistake to come inside, who could have blamed her for choosing this place as a refuge? From the outside, the little bar looks so cute and inviting. Just the kind of place someone in her position would choose to escape to. Look, the name, the rightest place alone announcing that you reach where you should be. Them words sprawling above the outside doorway in a wild double cursive, like if a fanciful child write it. Twice, first in red paint, then alongside each stroke like a sunshine shadow. In yellow paint, each letter of every word, from the D in D to the E in place, sprouting flowers and leaves from their tips and making curly Q vines with hybrid combination of flowers. Hibiscus, alamanda, bougainvillea, passion flower, ixora, heliconia, plus animals, giant black bachak, blue and yellow macaw. Green iguana, brown cricket, yellow cropper, stripy snake, tessellated morocoi, translucent gecko. All kind of things scrambling, hiding, preening, perching all down the side of the sky blue street wall. As if some crazy flora fauna mutation had scrambled up from the flower bed below with its sole intention to reach all the way to the top. The better to hug up and love up the words. 
hanging just to the side of the door is a board where you could read in stark black on white the who and what and when and why of the writer's please. The sign saying in bold capitals, taking up a whole three lines, Indira Gabriel licensed to sell spirituous liquors any day, any time. It wasn't any day. It was Good Friday. And it wasn't any time. It was 4.05 in the afternoon. And Sonity, in her Good Friday church clothes, black sheath dress with a wide white satin pleated cummerbund, black fishnet stockings, black and white patent leather high-heeled shoes, black pillbox hat with white gross grain ribbon and a black spiderweb fascinator would have stopped traffic anywhere, even in St. Michael's and all the archangels at the stations of the cross vigil where she just come from on any day, especially on a good Friday. Them stiletto heels beating a plink, plink, per clink on the terrazzo floor ringing through the room. Like Rudolph Charles in the pan yard signaling Desperado's steel orchestra with his iron to come to attention to start the tune. The plink, plink, per clink marking time to her rhythmic advance to the bar. Her customers angling aside, guard of honor styling to allow her space. Indira, looking up, controlling amazement while pouring out into a tall glass with the gold harp logo, a steady, rising, creamy, foaming black Guinness. Herman, releasing a shower of small change on the counter near a waiting customer and glancing down at Apocalypse at his feet. The Rottweiler herself staying quiet, quiet. Nobody knows she right there waiting for a hint of provocation to unleash. She's staying there, lying on her side, but tense black eyelids now flip wide open and blacker ears twitch sideways. Herman on autopilot, slipping off a left sandal and rubbing a calming bare foot along the bitch belly as he jerk his chin in sunnity direction. And Sonity placed some folded notes on the bar in front of her, saying, A tall Merlot on crushed ice, with a slice of lime, please. He, your boy Carl Lee, hear the voice. Afterward, when we heckling him, he say he heed the call. It's authoritative diction, precise enunciation, and modulated pitch register in every listening ear is true, but according to your boy Carl Lee, it pick him out special, tunneling into his own ear canal and startling his brain in a free zone of... he can't tell. All his years and years of experience can't tell him what. And then... As suddenly as her presence had conjured it up, the spell of silence break in an embarrassed outburst of excessive volume. Carly, jerking out of his stupor, slammed down with undue force the domino he poised to play. Anil slugged the last of his stag and banged the empty beer bottle on the mosaic scarlet ibis adorning the tabletop. Amber and Fritzy 
take up more loudly than they would have liked the thread of the whispered conversation they having about Precious, Fritzy's contentious teenage daughter, yes, she of the powdered neck, and the room returned to something like its earlier indifferently welcoming steam. She step across with her drink to the nearest empty table and perch at the edge of a spindly, wrought-iron chair, as if she afraid to sit too far back. Under his eyebrows, Carly watching her crisp profile as she flip up the fascinator onto the crown of her hat. She bend over, looking into her glass, and as her hair swing forward, a thick black curtain hiding her face, he turned his attention back to Anil's play. Your boy trying to convince himself she not his kind of woman. Too cool, too sharp, too sure. But is he, only he, continuing to steal glances her way? Who is the one to notice when her elbow jolt against the tabletop, the red drink in her hand spilling over the rim of her glass and onto the immaculate white cummerbund? See how fast your boy Carly bolt up from the dominoes game, sprint to the bar, grab a club soda and in two twos reach her side. He pull up a chair, drag out a handkerchief, pour club soda over it and raise a quizzical eyebrow in her direction. All that action and she not looking at him yet. Her gaze fixed on the handkerchief he holding toward her. He, taking her slight shrug of the shoulder as a scent, begin to dab, to pat, to stroke to rub at the stain on the white satin and under his hand it fade from red to pink to blush. Under his hand too, he feeling the rise and fall of her diaphragm. He thinking her breath coming faster and faster as he work at the stain. He feeling the warmth of her breath flowing through his hair, tingling his scalp as he bend over her lap. She not so cool after all. She not so cool. He could smell the fragrances of her. Her skin, her breath, her hair. Cinnamon, coconut, peppermint, vetiver, and oh, your boy Carly can't tell which is which, only it warm and nice and sweet. And he there, wrapped in the cocoon of that air, drinking it in, swallowing it in and out, in and out. He rub and stroke and wipe at that cummerbund as long as he could, and when the stain not fading further, he stop and look up at her face. He sees her eyes red, like if she was crying. He died for us. He died for all of us. Her voice coming out as a whisper he have to stretch his ears to pick up. He say, who? But immediately he catch himself, and he suddenly feeling stupid thinking, but not saying, what the fuck? Damn it, fool me. Jesus, she say in that soft voice again. Jesus. He died for all of us. And 
That's why you crying? He died. She say it like if the shock and horror of it only now hit her. Carl Lee get throw a little off balance, but he not a long time smooth operator for nothing. You know, he died a long time ago. Years and years ago. Thousands of years ago. Your boy surprised himself at how gentle he's sounding, patient, slow, repeating as if he's talking to a little child. In church today, I felt as if it was happening right at that time. Your boy stare at her face good, it looking real, real sad. Tears flowing now in two smooth lines down her cheeks. He thinking it remind him of raindrops as they slide off a banana leaf and he glanced down, feeling a little bit embarrassed at that sentimental picture coming into his own cut and dry head. She still not looking at him as she carry on talking, soft, soft, as if to herself. I was there with him, suffering with him at each station of the cross. Jeez and ages, Carly thinking, what have we got here? But discretion overtake the thought, and he say instead, You're feeling better now? I prayed to him to allow me to share his suffering, and he did. For one tortured moment, Carly feeling she going to open her palms and show him a pair of bleeding stigmata, and then what could he do? Club Soda can't fix that. But the moment pass. Her hands stay fold up in her lap. He look at the delicate brown hands, smooth, catching the light like a fresh nutmeg shell. None of that false plastic nail and scandalous multicolor pattern paint on, like Amber and Fritzion. These little nails only have a slight gloss, nothing else. He well distracted, but she not noticing that. She keeping on with her story. Collection time was coming up. I was kneeling. I reached for my handbag on the bench behind me. I took some notes from the wallet and put the wallet back in the handbag. Rested the handbag back on the pew bench and continued my meditation with my eyes closed, praying for oneness with his pain. I was so deep in meditation, I didn't notice the collection basket pass by. And the notes, my offering, stayed in my hand. She opened her palm. Carly, look at it. Carly want to read her fortune there. He want to read if his fortune tie up with hers and the faint, delicate tracery there. He want that little hand to hold his tight like she did hold on to the collection money. But in that situation, what else your boy Carly could do but nod? About the going to church thing, about the meditation and praying thing, he well understand. He used to go to church regular when he was a college boy. He reflect that he had to go to church then. No argument. Dress up in white long sleeve shirt with blue school monogram embroider on the pocket. 
white long pants, black leather shoes polished so bright you could stand up next to a girl and place your foot just below her skirt. Look down at the shoe mirror and see I place my hand on the bench behind me to reach for my handbag to put back the money until the end of the vigil when I could hand it directly to father. But when I patted and patted the bench behind me, I felt nothing there. Shit, think Carly. Oh no, he say. But he looking at the way her round bosom rise when she stretch out her arm, demonstrating the patting action on the invisible bench. And her arm smooth and firm and gleaming and... I turned round and my handbag was gone. Bugger come in his mind. Gracious heavens come from his lips. It had vanished. She raised her head. It's first time they two head level and your boy Carly see her face properly. She pucker her red lips something like a kiss. Something like a Marilyn Monroe kiss to be exact. And then the lips blow out. A puff of air. It had vanished just so. So maybe it wasn't no kiss for him, but when Carl Lee see the face, the eyes, the lips, well, he smile because she nice. She nice, too bad. All he want to do is stroke that cheek, kiss those lips, feel those eyelashes tickle his body. But he catch himself quick. He have to show interest in the conversation. You saw who was sitting behind you? Someone who could have taken your handbag? There was a couple I had noticed earlier. A man and a woman. In the first hour of the vigil, they were there, but at the start of the second hour, when I realized the handbag had gone, I looked for them, and they were gone too. So they must have taken it. I thought our Savior was testing me, sending me a taste of his passion, which he would stop when he saw I had suffered enough. She living in the real world or not? What kind of person go looking for suffering when it have plenty round to partake of without conducting a search, eh? He himself have more than his share of suffering these past dry years. All of them people who does make foolish joke about male prowess and say red man always in season. Never include him in any survey. Nobody never asking him how he making out lately. But she, she like an angel. Maybe she is one of them angel come down from heaven to help mankind. Carly want to be the mankind this angel come to take in hand, take in that cute little hand. Oh God, he closed his eyes. That would be so, so sweet. She talking about passion, but he know about passion. He is the passion expert. He don't forget passion, even if it is a long time since he tasted any. And boy, oh boy, he could give this angel a taste of his passion any time, any day. Carly can't open his eyes. 
He feared she could read his mind with those impious thoughts next to her innocent words. He nod to let her know he's still listening. I prayed for the second hour, thanking him for my anguish. In the third hour, I heard a rustling in the pew behind me, and when I shifted my position to investigate, I saw the man and the woman, the couple who was there in the first hour, kneeling once again in the pew behind me. So, did the handbag come back too? There was still no handbag. The test hadn't come to an end. Did you get it back later? After the third hour, the vigil ended and I went out to my car. It wasn't where I had parked it. I wasn't sure if that was another test, so I looked for it in case I had mistaken my parking spot. Most of the cars drove off and mine wasn't among the few left. The car keys were in the handbag? Yes, and my house keys too. Your driver's permit was in your wallet? Yes, the insurance certificate in the glove compartment? She nodded. And of course, your home address is on board. Yes, plus my cell phone with all my contact numbers is also in the handbag. You went to the police station to make a report? No. I was walking round in a daze. But when I saw this sign, I came in here, the writer's place, to settle my mind. To help me figure out if this is my test. To give up everything I have and follow him, as he bid us do. I even gave up the collection money in exchange for the wine. Look, Miss Sanity. Call me Sanity. Look, Sanity. First things first. By all means, give away all your own, but don't encourage people in stealing it. So what you suggest I should do? Let me take you to the police station to make a report. Afterward, we can figure out what to do next. She looked at him a long, long while. Carl Lee said later, he feel he was going through an exam he hadn't prepared for. And while he was willing to take a guess in a multiple choice, he didn't know what subject he was being examined in. She looked at his hand fumbling on the tabletop. It's still holding the handkerchief, stained pink like the cummerbund stain. She looked at his face, now flushing even redder through the Chinese payol African mix-up Creole skin. She looked at the eyes, into them greeny amber up-tilt eyes that earned him the schoolyard name Katai. And she must see something there that she liked because she stand up and touch her hand to his own. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel any time. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Now, let's get back to our story. They leave the bar together. And all the hush and the sly glances that greet her when she walk in, come back again. On the pavement outside, Carly hearing the excited buzz rise up in the bar, and he know they talking about him and her, and he wishing it could have something for them to wag their tongue about, and who knows, maybe if he could play his cards right in this next stage, who knows what it might lead to. They gone to the police station in his car. The little red mini moke bachelor convertible Carly assembled his own self from a kit he sent to England for. Every nut and bolt he put in. And anybody who asked him where you buy that car, he say, I make this car myself. I didn't buy it. So they gone to the police station and afterward he offered to drop her home to make sure everything all right there. The little red mini moke turned in her street and she say, look, that's my car, there, in front of my house. Carly see a black sunny park up in front of a white house and when he reach it, he park up too. She opened the gate, it not locked, They go up the path to the porch and he see that the front door wide open too. She go first and walk in and when he reach the porch and make to follow she hold up her hand and stop him from coming in. 
Standing in the porch, he could still see what was going on inside the living room. She squat down and she say, It's all right, Lucifer. I'm home. What you've been up to, eh? He see her patting and rubbing a big, big white pit bull who's only smiling, smiling, jaws wide, wide, showing more rows of teeth than one of them great white shark. She concentrating on the beast, but your boy Carly scoping out the room over her head, and he spot a nashy little fella crouching down on the floor next to a mahogany glass cabinet, covering his head with two long skinny arms. She stand up, and the dog stand up too. If you see how that beast big, it wide like a young bull cow. She and the dog walk toward the feller by the cabinet, and she say, Stand up! You're a man, so stand up like a man. The feller stand up, but his head hang down. He looking at the dog, who not doing nothing threatening, he only standing next to the woman. So where are my handbag and keys? The feller tried to talk. He tried to point. He tried to look in a direction. But it's like he hypnotized by the beast. He can't do nothing. She put her hand on the beast's head and the dog sit down next to her. She say, where's my things? The feller say, kitchen. She lead the beast and slip past the counter. And she come back with a handbag, exact match to the black and white striped patent leather shoe she have on. She open the handbag and look inside. Keys, she say. And he reach in his pocket and pull out two big bunch. They jangle, jangle in his hand, like the Angelus bells he's shaking for so. She say, Rest him on the cabinet. She say, What's your name? He say, Prakash. She say, Prakash, I want you to deliver a message to those people in the church. The ones who sent you here in my car with my handbag to rob me. Tell them, Lucifer leads you into temptation, but when you sin, he doesn't let you out. She looking straight at the feller, but he not looking at her at all. He only looking at the dog. She pat her hand on the beast's head and she say to the feller, And you remember that too. It's not too late to change your ways. Go. Now. The feller moves slow, slow, scrabbling sideways. Eyes bulging out he head like a mangrove blue crab. Out the front door, down the path, out the gate, and then pelt speed down the road. Your boy Carl Lee mesmerized too. By the scene, by the events, by the dog, by the woman. She stared at him and she said, come inside. It's over now. Let's relax. She sit down on the sofa. She leaned back on some cushions and she pats a space next to her. Come on, 
he go inside, moving toward the sofa, but he too looking at the beast. She see that, and she say, Lucifer, here. The dog come, and she bend down, hold his ears, and tell him something quiet, quiet, and the beast walk out the room and flop down on the floor in the front porch, right in the doorway. Lucifer put his head between his front paws and watching them, like they is just a movie. Your boy Carl Lee kind of relaxed now, too, and he go and sit down on the sofa next to her. She say, how about some red wine? And he see that she's smiling right up, right direct into his face. He smile back, broad. He say, that sounding just right. He pause and carry on in that offhand way he have. But you don't think you should take off that nice dress first? She look at him in a sort of way like, where are you coming from? He say in his flip kind of cool way, well, we wouldn't want another accident to happen to it, would we? She laughed. Accident? What accident? Your boy Carly point at the faint stain on the cummerbund. She say, Oh, that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> she laugh. He laugh. They laugh. She kick off them spike heel shoes and send them flying across the floor. She lie back on the cushions close her eyes, and let a long sigh escape. <sighs> then she snuggled deep into the sofa, moving her whole self into a kind of slow, unwinding dance. She raised her arms above her head. She point her toes, stretching the arch of her foot. Carly, watching the calf muscles swell and tighten, she pushed down her heels and the top of her thighs rise, pulsing rounded mounds straining against the black sheet dress. Point, push, point, push, point, push. But your boy Carl Lee don't unwind. He can't unwind. He get wind up instead. He completely transfixate on the action. He too eye trap in the fishnet stocking, in the diamond mesh self as it stretch open and close, open and close, like the mouths of fish beached in a sand. His brain lulled into a trance under the sighing susurrus of his hot red blood, surging from one chamber of his heart to another, forcing open the valves, closing them in syncopated rhythm with the point push, point push point push she paused in midpoint she turned her head slow in his direction she half opened her eyes and she say in a kind of dreamy murmur mm, I could do with that glass of wine stay here I'll be back in a minute And your boy, your boy Carl Lee, he stayed there, stranded at the edge of the sofa, 
gasping like he just get tumbled by a maracas wave. Waiting. Waiting under Lucifer's impassive gaze. Throughout the course of my life, I have had the pleasure of spending quite a bit of time in the Caribbean. And this story really puts me right there. Um, the air, that thick tropical air. When I'm in the Caribbean, um, it's like I'm right where I was meant to be. I don't know if I have any Caribbean roots. I feel a, a deep spiritual kinship to the Caribbean in general, to a few places specifically. Barbados is, is, is my favorite island in the chain. So when I'm done here um, with this career in Los Angeles, my intention is to move to Barbados and, um, and start my last and final career as a writer. I want to I want to swim in the sea every day. I want to eat fresh fish and fruit and I want to write. And I want to establish a an arts center, a center for the arts where young people can come and learn the art of storytelling. Video, film, dance. Um Yeah, that's that's what I want. That's what I want retirement to feel like. In any case, we're a ways off from that. So, so there's this, this flip-flop in the dynamic, the power dynamic in, in this fledgling relationship. Carl Lee, um, as, as the smooth operator, is, is pretty much in control in the first part of the story. And, and you know, we see him uh, sort of... Um, evaluating whether or not this woman is worth his time. And he's not really sure, given the nature of some of the stuff coming out of her mouth, but she's so fine. He cannot help himself. And so, you know, he is Johnny on the spot, ready to do whatever it takes. And when they get to her house, it all changes. And she's the one in control. Right. Um, she's got this pit bull, um, Lucifer. And is, is there a more perfect name for a pit bull? That's it. Um, and and there's this this thief in her living room and she handles her business and and is absolutely, completely in control of the moment. Uh, she knows exactly what she's doing when she's stretching her toes and calves on the couch. And of course, um, she knows he'll be right there in that spot on the couch when she comes back with that bottle of wine. It is um, the perfect double seduction. And here's the thing. As, as, as much as it is my tendency at the end to assume that they live happily ever after. That's when the gift that Barbara Jenkins is 
delivers us in the beginning. You have to go back to the beginning, to the very first paragraph. In later years, when he's lying in bed all by himself, your boy Carl Lee loses plenty of sleep, wondering whether he should have put that raw egg in a white glass, right? Done that divining exercise. And then he catches himself and thinks that, well, maybe if he had known beforehand, it wouldn't have been much help to him because she was just so fetching. He had to take his chance. But it's those first few words in later years, when lying in bed all by himself. So what happens in those intervening years? I asked the writer, Barbara Jenkins, and um, she said she didn't know. That when she wrote this story, that that she was really focused on the character Carl Lee. And then um, at some point, she kept writing and her focus switched uh, totally to uh, Dorita's place and the woman who owns that bar, right? Indira Gabriel. And so the book, Dorita's Place, is is a continuation of this story, but it really focuses on uh, some of the patrons in the bar and the character of Indira Gabriel. So, um, your boy Carl Lee uh, and and his exploits will have to be left for another another time, another story. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. My great thanks to Barbara Jenkins for not only allowing me to read her story, but for consulting on my reading as well so that I could get the spirit if not the letter of the accent. Please check out Barbara's books, Sick Transit Wagon, a collection of short stories, and the novel, Derightest Place, both published by People Tree Press, UK. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them, we read them, we use them. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon. Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. 
three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valid one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax must update rewards. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.